words of a monster himself, possibly the devil reincarnated, Chris Watts. Welcome back, everybody, to Playing Your Cards Right with your host, Matthew and Dr. Samantha Williams. And, and, and also in the room, we got Rocky. He uh, decided he wanted to be part of this episode. So. Again. Again. He just, uh, you know, wants to be part of the show, I guess. Might have to take a picture, I guess, so everyone knows what it looks like. I, I mean, probably. I am surprised, though. Mine's hanging out downstairs being quiet right now. Well, you know. Because we don't have a monster like Chris Water. <laughs> probably. So, today's episode is mainly focused on the devil himself, Mr. Chris Watts. But we're also throwing in some sports, because you know, we can't have the uh, sports half without talking about sports. And that's so, what we do, everything in between. Yeah, everything in between. So, <clears throat> with the sports half of today's talk, we're going to talk about our predictions when they come to the Oklahoma State University football team's schedule this year. Now... We are just over a little, like I think we have five Fridays or Thursdays or Fridays until first game, so we're getting right there. It's, it's pretty darn close to go time, so our uh, weekends are about ready to get filled. Yeah, they are. Sports and sports and hmm, more sports. sports. So, uh, yeah, there's that, so... Uh, the first game is actually uh, Thursday night, September 1st at uh, 6 o'clock. So that'll be interesting Thursday night games. It's kind of weird yeah. and odd, but it is what it is. So, But we'll be there. Yeah, we'll be there. We'll be at every home game. Well, minus, minus one. Yeah. Little little twenty year reunion, high school reunion to go to. So for the one who's the oldest. Of hey, us. hey, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. But then we also do have. Um, there's an announcement that the Tulsa Oilers are going to be making on Tuesday. Um, <coughs> speculation is that they are bringing another arena football team to town. So if that's actually legitimately the case, we could have a new sport to add into. Our conversations now. There used to be for the people who live in Oklahoma and, or used to live in Oklahoma. You probably remember the Tulsa Talons. I remember them growing up. Whatever. So I don't know that it's going to be necessarily the Arena Football League. I don't know that. I mean, I know they're still in existence, but they're not anywhere near as big. I think it might be part of uh, the IFL or IFC or something like that. Because I know Vegas just did the same thing. And they've been playing some indoor teams, so Colorado used to have a team for a while, so could be interesting. Yeah, we'll have, we'll to, have see to see. We'll see. Go to some. Mm-hmm. If it's true. If it's true, yeah. But uh, back to uh, OSU's schedule here. So um, some updates I've seen from um, the OSU athletic department. Obviously, um, one of the biggest is they got some new turf. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. If it's AstroTurf or Field Turf, um, or what the exact of it is, I know it's a sand base, but past that I don't know. But from everything picture wise, it looks like the grass is grass in air quotes um, is a lot darker green, and the end zones are a lot brighter orange. So it looks good, though. Looks good. I might. I mean, I have a few opinions on the uh, logos, but 
you know, they they had asked for people's opinions on logos, and I think the overwhelming majority of support that I saw was people saying that they wanted to see the Curse of Cowboys look that in was the end my zone, preference. which would have been cool. I mean, if they wanted to really stand out, we could have just gone with an orange field, which would have been crazy. Yeah. But I don't think they're allowed to do that anymore. Kind of do the a la Boise State thing with the blue turf. But it, it could have been better, but I'll hold reservation on my final decision on that until we actually get in the stadium and see. Yeah. But just from the pictures, it looks pretty freaking amazing. So we'll see. So the first game could, could be a trap game for OSU. If... You remember your history of OSU football very well. I don't remember what year it was, but I do remember this team came in and upset us last time they were here on a call that was really, there's really no other way to put it. It was completely bullcrap. The play should never have happened because of the rule books and the umpires did not follow the rule book and therefore gave Central Michigan one extra play they threw it in the end zone, touchdown and beat us. So barring any crazy outcome like that again I don't see it happening again because this, this this team is pretty much almost the same team on the offense at least. I mean we have some additions and I think that will help but I think we have a far better defense so I don't think we're going to have that issue. So Central Michigan I think we're going to win that game. Yeah, I would agree with that one. I don't I don't think it's going to be... I think the offense will probably sputter a little bit because it is the first game. But I think defense, from everything I've been seeing, defense should be pretty much on point. Um, the next game, we play Arizona State at home. Again, I mean, last time we played Arizona State, we played them there. It was pretty much a easy win. I don't think we're going to have any problems with Arizona State. Nope. It has the possibility to be a potentially trap game where, you know, if we, if we don't pay attention and, you know, we could we could wind up in trouble. But I think they're going to pull it out at home. I think that helps. The, uh, the third game, the game that uh, we're going to miss, which I think I'm going to be okay with because it's Arkansas Pine Bluff. I don't know much about them. I, I think that's going to be one of those games that it score could rise real quick and could be a humongous blowout. But then they get into Big 12 play, and, and this is where I start to get a little worried because the first game, the very first game of Big 12 play, is Baylor. Yeah. And I, I just don't know how I feel about that because it's at Baylor... And the problems that we had with Baylor last year in the Big 12 championship game, I just don't know. Yeah, unfortunately, I put that one as a possible loss for for OSU. That one, I, um, it's really hard because I think they have such a sour taste in their mouth, and I think you're going to remember that with Baylor. So I, I think that one... If, I, if I'm feeling strong on a loss, I think that one could definitely be a loss early in the season. And then the next week we go play, uh, we play Tech at home. So 
Texas Tech at home. Well, Texas Tech has improved again. It's the first Big 12 game at home. I'm feeling pretty pretty good about this one. I think we're going to win. I think it's going to be a dogfight. I think it'll be close. But if OSU's defense <clears throat> is as good as advertised of the um, defensive coordinator that we got now and everything is as good as what it's I've heard, I think that one, it could come down to defense and who stops who enough. So that one I'm leaning to OSU. I got OSU for that one as well. And then uh, the next week, OSU goes on the road, and so do we, because we're going to go. Oh, yes, TCU. TCU. Go to go to Fort Worth. It's close enough. Why not? I think OSU's going to pull this one. I don't think. That's what I think. TCU is, is kind of still in the rebuild, I think, a little bit. Um, they were one of the uh, not-so-good teams last year in the Big 12. Um, I actually did go to uh, a game with my buddy Gene uh, last year, TCU versus Kansas, two of the cellar-dweller teams um, in the Big 12, at least in football. And, uh, uh, man, that was actually a fairly good game for TCU, but, again, you're playing Kansas. So, I mean, yeah. there is that. But they, they do have a nice stadium. I, I will give it up to TCU. Their football stadium is pretty awesome. Campus is pretty awesome. Doesn't touch OSU's, but still nice. Um, then the next game, homecoming. Versus one of those teams that, well, in a couple years we won't have to worry about anymore. Good old Texas. Yeah, and I put them to win that one because I, I feel like they've got enough with them leaving that they, you know, want to make an, they would want to make an impression. Yeah. Texas could be a trap game. It depends what Texas team shows up. I mean, they, they've been in the rebuild situation, and they, you know, haven't really uh, met expectations um, as in the last couple of years. Um, you know, they've, they've, dealt with some coaching changes and some issues, whatever. I think the one thing that's going to really, really help OSU um, with this is the fact that Texas plays OU uh, two weeks before they play OSU, and then they have to deal with Iowa State the week before they play OSU. So... Texas kind of has to go through a gauntlet. Granted, they do have Iowa State at home, but Iowa State likes to be that shifty team that causes problems. And then, of course, the Red Red River shootout. I mean, there's just there's potential for Texas to really be banged up. So I like OSU's chances with it being homecoming and being kind of a charged environment because of the whole entire them leaving thing. So I'm, I'm gonna. Hang OSU on this one. I think they're going to be able to pull it out. Um, the next week, OSU has to go to the Little Apple and good old K-State. That that could be a good game. I mean, K-State is kind of one of those teams that, you know, they, they can really come up on you and really surprise you. They've been good, and then they've had years where it's just like, what what's going on with K-State, like? Something, something's up with these guys, but 
they they seem to do pretty good last year and I mean they're still K-State. K-State has the ability to do some damage so I expect it to be a close game but I think OSU is going to pull this one I, I so feel um, I mean I, I wouldn't say that I feel 100% they're going to win this one I, I maybe 60-40 just because it is K-State and we always do seem to have some issues at the Little Apple so could be interesting the next week I'm 100% win because yeah. if we were to lose that'd be bad and you I, don't deserve to play. I, I would, yeah. It'd be bad. Because the next week you got to go play good old KU. At KU, but I'm not really too worried. Matter. I'm it not too matter. worried. Now, Kansas has improved. You know, they, they keep on getting a little bit better and better, but they just don't have the talent to match up against OSU, and I don't think it's going to be... No. I, I think it, as long as OSU doesn't do anything stupid and try to play outside of themselves and whatever and look past KU because that would be a problem because right after KU is Iowa State at home. So as long as they don't look past Kansas, I think they can win fairly easily in Kansas. And then, like I said, the next week is Iowa State at home. That that's the game that I don't like. We've had problems with Iowa State. Now, granted, it seems like we've had more problems with Iowa State at Iowa State, but still, I don't like this. It, it's it's late in the year, and had has OSU be going with no losses at this point? This is the game that always just gets them gets them and it's always Iowa State so I'm a little unnerving on the Iowa State game so that one I'm saying it's a 50-50 toss up right now I would agree and then the game of all games in the state Listen, of Oklahoma there's only one university here that matters now careful with your wordage there because they say there's only one Oklahoma. Oh, I'm well aware. And it's Oklahoma State. Wow. I've always thought it was kind of a dumb statement. It's like, there's only one Oklahoma. Obviously. Duh. It's like, okay. It's not yeah. like the Carolinas when you have to di differentiate between North and South. No, not even only that. We're not Oklahoma. We're Oklahoma State. Right. It's like, okay. That game is in the shithole, a.k.a. North. that other place, a.k.a. yeah. So, that one, I, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to be. There's a potential for loss. And it wouldn't surprise me if they did, just because we don't exactly have the greatest track record. In Norman? Yeah. But, I mean, two years in a row of beating OU, I mean, I could be down for that. I mean, if we're not going to have a bedlam for a few years, the Cowboys better get that in our heads make the most of what they have left. 
Well, we'll see how many years we have left. According to Gundy, if anybody has uh, paid attention to the Big 12 media days, he was basically saying that uh, maybe this one and the one after might be it, or this one might be it. It's just going to have to kind of wait and see when, uh, well, he's going to go ahead and exit the Big 12. I mean, according to the SEC, they say that they are not going to be coming over to the SEC until 2025, but we all know that's a bunch of jibber-jabber. I don't really know how much I believe that they aren't going to jump ship early. Oh, you said they're not going to, but again, oh, you said a lot. Texas has said a lot. I don't know that I necessarily believe any of them. It's one of those where we're just going to have to wait and see what happens when it happens. Yeah. I mean, personally, and this is just maybe my own personal opinion, I would not mind seeing OU leave early. No. I really wouldn't. Just because it would be nice to have our new members come next year and we don't even have to deal with OU in Texas and we can get a taste of the new Big 12 right away. Yeah. That would be nice. Now, if they do stick around and are part of the newer, bigger Big 12, then my hope there would be that Next year would be it. Obviously, next year's game, we'd be back in Stillwater. One more shot. Mm -hmm. That might be kind of sweet. And it might be kind of sweet to have all the new members join up in the Big 12 and everyone just slaughter you. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see a Cincinnati and UCF and BYU beat up on OU before they leave. That would be kind of funny. Oh, absolutely it would be. The likelihood of it happening... Probably not necessarily that great, but it would be kind of funny to see them lose a couple games. However, that schedule would work out. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing we don't know is what's the scheduling going to do. But it'll be interesting to see. And then uh, last game of the year at home, good old West Virginia, which could be a good game. Usually is. Especially being right after we play OU Thanksgiving weekend. Potential there for an upset by West Virginia, but I, I just don't see it happening. I think OSU's going to pull it out. I don't really feel too confident in West Virginia's ability to come in to Stillwater and wreck it. So. I'm 50-50 on that one. I just... West Virginia is that sketchy, streaky team that I just don't... I don't see it happening, but doesn't necessarily mean that it won't happen. So, overall, I think OSU is going to wind up... As much as I would like to say they are going to be up in the um, conversation for the top two spots to be into the Big 12 championship game. I think it can happen, but I think a lot of things depend upon how the offense does this year, how we can stay healthy, and if our defense is actually as good as what we think it's going to be. Because if it is, there I think there's potential to go back to the Big 12 championship game. Maybe as the number two seed, maybe not the number one seed. Maybe a repeat of Bedlam. I can see that. 
Yeah. And I might be all right with an OU versus OSU for the Big 12 championship. That might be kind of fun. Oh, absolutely. But we'll just have to wait and see. The fun part of sports. Yeah. But now we get, get to talk about the, the devil guy himself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's funny that that's how you referred to him because I didn't know quite as much when I first started researching for this episode. And there are several TV shows that are, <coughs> you know, nonfiction based that double is in the title somewhere when they do an episode on him. Well, I don't think there's any other way to describe this guy. He, he, there's a special place in hell for him. I mean, I, I'm not usually one to, you know, say things about like that, about people being in hell and et cetera, et cetera, whether or not you believe in it or not. Yeah. But that, there's a special place in hell for that guy because he's, he's just something else. The fact that he's still alive shocks me. Oh, I agree. <clears throat> oh man, criminal, criminal justice taken into the hands by the criminals. I mean, I, I don't know if he's in solitary or not up in Wisconsin, but I think the last thing I heard was he was going to, he at least started out in uh, solitary, but then I think they were going to release him to uh, General Pop, so. Yeah. Yeah, but he might have, I mean, I, I just don't know. I, I would think that uh, any of the uh, like jail shows or anything like that that I've ever seen, they're always pretty much, hey, you know, they're, they they don't take too kindly to woman beaters, child molesters, child killers, rapists. Well, and for all we know, he's been in solitary this whole time. I mean, we don't know. Who knows? <clears throat> and but if that's the case, that's probably the only reason why he is still alive. Who knows? But, but this guy, so... He, uh, I, I remember this whole entire event happening. I didn't really have to do any research because I lived in Colorado. Um, during this time, I was working in the oil field, so this this was kind of one of those things that uh, everybody in the patch pretty much knew about, and uh, everybody in Colorado knew about. And well, and because I didn't know any, I did research on because you know in my field we we need to know what was going on before to understand why something happened or to, I mean, with this situation, to even begin to try and understand. Um, and so I really dug into the what went on before the murders happened. Um, and, and so um, I found a lot of interesting information from both of both Shannon and Chris and their background prior to even meeting each other um, that raised questions in my mind as I was you know learning then what was going on in the weeks leading up to the murders and so some of the information I found and you probably know some of this um, as far as Shannon goes, um, she had been previously married and was actually married for five years. Um, and her ex-husband 
had said, you know, she didn't seem very interested in the marriage and had checked out early on. Uh, so they did obviously end up getting divorced. Um, and then by the time she was 25, she had actually saved enough money to purchase her own home. Now, the, this is in, I think, North Carolina, where they're originally from. Yep. Um, so I don't know, like, I didn't dig enough to know, like, how those prices are different from there in Colorado. But I know cost of living in Colorado is outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so at 25, she had saved up enough money to build her own home. Um, but in 2010... Um, she said that was the darkest point of her life. She had been diagnosed with lupus. Friends were kind of disowning her because she would not go hang out. Now, granted, a lot of that had to do with her lupus. Um, and she did say she felt scared and alone. Um, her, you know, her family said she was very outgoing, liked new like to meet new people and that she would pour herself into her work. Chris though, um, oddly enough, was described as happy, friendly, soft-spoken, respectful, smart, clean-cut, and all the girls liked him. But however, he didn't have much of a social life. Um, and he very rarely dated, if ever, because he was just too shy to talk to anyone. And so their relationship actually got started when Chris sent Shannon a friend request on Facebook in 2010, uh, in the summer of that year. They had a mutual friend, which happened to be Chris's cousin's wife. And, um... But Shanann reported that, you know, she never expected anything to happen from that relationship. Um, But she went ahead and accepted the friend request. And um, after exchanging some messages, she did agree to go on a date with him. Um, What I found interesting about their first date, uh, she was not impressed with him at all. Um, She thought he was too underdressed, which, you know makes me think okay is she too uppity is she too snobby like I don't know I I feel like that is something that I don't know what they went and did on their first date but if that's what is a down point to your date like or what what's going on there um but she did agree to a second date um they got to the third date and he had planned a day at the beach. Um, They were only about two hours away from Myrtle Beach. Um, And she had a lupus flare-up, so they had to come back early. And, like, he cared about her so much at that point that um, she had laid her head in his lap to rest on the way back, and he was afraid to move because he didn't want to wake her up. Um, Let's see. Um, she was impressed with him because, like I said before, her other friends had basically deserted her or disowned her because of her lupus. And she would cancel on Chris a lot, but he never left. Like, he st- stuck around through all of her illness and health issues. 
um, and this did impress her. So she decided that they were going to have a family cookout. Um, her family really liked Chris. Um, they thought, you know, he was a great fit for her. He treated her so well. Um, but his family had the completely opposite feeling. They disapproved. Um, and some went as far as say that his mom um, didn't like it because she wasn't used to him dating. And so I don't think that that's a real good reason not to like someone, but it's just interesting how you have this guy who will potentially murder the whole family and her family likes him, but it's his family that doesn't like her. Yeah. I think he was just a simp. Yeah. Ooh, girls paying attention to me. Yeah. Block. Well, and that will go further with, you know, everything I learned about after. So they got married in November of 2012. Um, they had two children. Um, Bella was born December of 2013, and Celeste was born July of 2015. However, right before Celeste was born, in June of 2015, they filed for bankruptcy. Um, well, and then back it up to that, I mean, they moved to Colorado because they took yeah. a trip out there, and she felt better. Yes. Because, I mean, I'll definitely say that, you know, living in Colorado is definitely different. It's a uh, higher elevation does some weird stuff to you. I remember uh, when I was moving into my apartment, I uh, had been working a crap ton of hours um, and uh, setting up the lab and uh, there in Colorado because we hadn't uh, got it up and going yet, so I was just setting it up, so I was working 50, 60 hours, whatever, and uh, trying to move in between all that good stuff, and it was just hell, and I remember... Um, the apartment complex I lived in in Brighton uh, was on the third floor and carrying boxes up I just I about passed out because the elevation or whatever but so I do know that you know your body definitely does do some weird things in Colorado uh, just because of the thin air and whatever but it wouldn't change the world for living there shout out to our friends though Ashley and Ryan we miss you guys you yeah. guys are listening we need to uh, hang out again soon. Uh, it's always a good time to hang out with you guys. Absolutely. Which, thanks to work, is the reason why I met Ryan. So. Yep. But, they really, I mean, I understand the whole entire, um, that's part of the main reason why they moved out there is because Shanann loved it. She felt, felt like home. She felt better, whatever. But, they really, in my opinion, should never have moved out there to begin with. No, I agree. Because... He didn't start out in the oil field. He started out as a freaking mechanic working for a dealership, which, I'm sorry, you're maybe making 20 an hour, maybe, mm -hmm. if you're lucky. And um, the house that they lived in in Frederick, Frederick is not a cheap uh, no, town they were living, definitely living outside of their means. Which is why they led to bankruptcy. I mean... You're over $60,000 in credit card debt. You're behind on the mortgage. Yeah. 
Um, Which their more I wrote down all the numbers. Just their mortgage was three thousand a month, and their car payment was six hundred. So when I did the figures, that only left them with thirteen hundred a month for all other expenses. So that credit card debt, student loans, um, their utility bills, food for the family, um, and then I actually learned that they were being sued or had been sued already by their homeowners association because they hadn't been paying their fees, mm -hmm. which several places in Colorado have homeowners association and they are very big sticklers on that. Um, and mm -hmm. so now different areas also have different costs. Some of them they pay monthly, some of them they pay, mm -hmm. Um, yearly, like mine was uh, yearly, but mine was only like a hundred bucks a month or a hundred bucks a year, so it was a joke. But if you go down there and you're in Frederick, whatever, in Firestone, Frederick, that area, most of those homes are easily four hundred thousand dollar homes now. Or more. Well, now they average about half a mil, if not more. So. Which, if you're looking to buy, apparently this house is for sale. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly. But you know, if you want to live in a murder house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is that. But, yeah. I mean, the fact that they were that much in debt and... Which is just mind-blowing. The, uh... It just goes to show, kind of like I said in the last podcast about how people will throw anything on Facebook to make it look like... Facebook... Well, doesn't mean have to do Facebook. Any social media make it look like their life is so freaking perfect and really well, it's hell and that's part of the timeline that i am looking at you know the weeks leading up to the murder um because in june of course you have father's day and shannon had made this cutesy post about how blessed they were to have him in their lives and she had made a cute video about the girls and and all this painting a picture perfect world um, but, uh, also in June, she told him that she was pregnant with her third child, um, and it was a boy, and, um, at the time of murder, she was about 15 weeks along at that point to kind of give you listeners an idea on that. Um, um the whole thing, I mean, she... She went out of town, whatever. He was always going around hanging with uh, Nicole, I think it was her name. Yeah, so that started in 2018 that he met Nicole. She, Nicole was a co-worker of his. Um, and their affair, well, depends on your definition of affair. I would say their affair started in late June when they started going out one-on-one. -on -one even though they claim the physical relationship did not start until July. Um, I think the whole thing, it, he, he was not wearing his wedding ring at work, which, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of discussions about that. I mean, it, it is kind of a, a thing. I mean, people do have to understand when you're in the oil field, it is kind of... It can be a safety hazard. It can be a major safety hazard to be wearing any jewelry, especially when you're out there. 
um, cranking open tanks and whatever. And, I mean, now granted, his job wasn't necessarily um, as labor intensive dealing with machinery as, say, a, uh, a driller or uh, anybody out in the service uh, companies, whatever. But still, I mean, it is one of those things where um, if you're out in the field, I mean, there's there could be some issues there, but to not be wearing it around the office, that that's kind of a another situation that's just kind of like okay, you know, he he was definitely pl pl playing it up, whatever. And the only thing that's ever really kind of bugged me about the whole situation of uh, her, the whole entire affair, I guess, um, is I know. She did come over to the house a few times or whatever. She never went upstairs, uh, according to uh, her and uh, what she said. But, you know, it's like, okay, well, you've had to have seen all these pictures of the whole entire happy family around that house. And all of Shanann's stuff there. And it's like, you know, you're sitting there telling me that, telling her that, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're going through a divorce and yada 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 and it's like okay and I mean you know having been divorced um, myself I just I mean obviously I don't have kids and you know it's a completely different situation but I, I just have a hard time you know okay yeah you're we're having an affair and yeah I'm going through a divorce okay well do you still live with your wife you're divorcing okay that's weird and I mean yeah, okay, it's one thing, you know, little girls, you know, you don't want to take down photos of everyone because that'll mentally I screw the kids the up. But that got me was he told her at the end of July that their divorce was final. Yeah. Like, you can't, you, you're not going to still be living with your ex-spouse after their divorce is final, typically. No. <clears throat> I mean, maybe it made more sense if that was the case but them having both been um, going through bankruptcy had he actually had that actually been true that they were going through a divorce and they were declaring bankruptcy the judge would make himself a house right just to clear off all debts for both sides so that to me I mean obviously Nicole didn't know any better as far as you know the money situation whatever because they went out to nice dinners they took trips and shit together. I mean, granted, that's part of the credit card debt that uh, got racked up, but right. the whole entire thing, I mean, it's just, you know, you're sitting there saying what you are about Shanann and whatever, and then for her to sit there and look at pictures of them together in the house, it's like, right. this is kind of jacked up. Well, and Shanann had a feeling something was going on during that late June through July period um, because she made it known to her friends. Like, she would text them and say, I think he's cheating on me. Um, but then tells them when she's getting ready to leave for her work trip just a few days before the incident happens that they had a really great conversation um, and that they were in a good place. And that was on August 9th that she was heading out of town for this business trip. Um, and so while she was gone, though, 
he hired a babysitter to come watch their kids and told the babysitter that he was going to a ball game with co-workers, but really he went out to a bar with Nicole. Um, so clearly, whatever conversation Shanann thought that they had was not a true conversation. Um, no, I mean, he was just a straight-up liar. I mean, you get to the, the the part that I remember the most, the, the whole entire thing starting off or whatever. Now, Oldfield is a very tight-knit community, and um, whenever Nine News... Uh, that's where the uh, start of our little show um, came from them. Uh, he did an interview with all the Denver local stations, whatever. And um, at the time, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, crap, you know, this guy's wife and kids are gone, whatever. I thought the interview then was kind of weird. It, something just didn't seem right um, with the interview. And uh, obviously none of us knew what we know now. Um, but... It was just very dry, wasn't very much motion, arms crossed, he uh, was speaking of them in the past tense, and uh, that was kind of weird, and uh, I mean, just, just the whole thing just seemed way off to me, and it was like, you know, yeah, I can get being camera shy, whatever, because you have all this Denver media around you, whatever, but the way the words that he used being in past tense was just kind of uber weird right and there was literally no no crying no no excitement in his voice no you know shaking there was no signs of like what you would normally see whenever your kids are gone missing whatever and you know that whole entire thing was just weird and then you look at the way he was acting whenever um, the police came through and did a walkthrough of the house, whatever. Seemed really weird. Like, it was just too... He was too cordial, formal with the officers, whatever. And even then, there, they were just kind of like, man, this is the most organized, cleanest house I've ever seen. Mm. Which, yeah, I mean, anyone, you should go look at the uh, officer's body cam footage of walking through the house. I wish... I could be as organized as they were. Because holy F. Like, everything was organized. Everything had a bin. Everything was, like, holy crap. Yeah. I could kill for that organization. But then what got me is whenever... I mean, it, it's something for the cops to sit there and to say something about how organized the house is and clean it is for something going down. Right. They knew right then and there something ain't, something ain't adding up. But then, whenever they show the body cam footage of Chris being at his next-door neighbor's house, and they are watching the tapes of him backing up to the house, whatever, so he can put his tools in, quote-unquote, and whatever. And then, whenever Chris walks out the front door, the neighbor goes, he ain't acting right. Something's off. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, man. And to well, sit there, and, and I think the part of the whole thing that, like, really pisses me off is you know when they were breaking them down in the interrogation room he thought well at first he thought he was off scot-free because who the hell is going to find him number one number two you know he's nothing would point to 
him being the guy. Because there was basically no evidence of anything. It just looked like there was an extremely clean house. Someone left behind their phone and all their medication, all that stuff. So, it, it does kind of seem like if you aren't a trained investigator or whatever, you could be really quick to say, oh, yeah, 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 you know, something, she must have just been grabbed or snatched or whatever. But a trained investigator also always knows, too, that crime scene's way too clean. Like, there's the video camera footage from the front door of Shanann coming in. There would be video camera footage of her leaving. There was none. I mean, it's like he didn't think about that part. He didn't, you know, and then when they finally broke him in interrogation, he goes, oh, well, she killed him. She killed the kids. Well, now you're getting ahead of me. Well. Because I feel like, you know, that that is part of it. And it's part of the sketchy timeline. Because if you look at what really happened... You know, on August 13th, she gets home at like 1.45, 2 o'clock in the morning from her business trip. And he's getting up around 5, wakes her up to have the conversation with her, finally comes clean about the affair. And she tells him, I'm taking the kids and you're never going to see them again. <clears throat> and so... That's bef- That's after they had sex, though. Well, that wasn't in my research. Yes. So they had sex whenever she got home. Then he admitted the affair. Right. After having sex. Right. And then that's when she said, well, you're never going to see him again. Right. And then... <clears throat> so he... Then strangles her. And their four-year-old daughter walks in and sees it happen. No, he sees her dragging, him dragging her down the steps, or putting her in the bed sheets. Something along those lines. He, nobody actually saw Shanann get strangled. Well, anyway. So, Bella asks, what's wrong with Mommy? And he says, she's just sick. We have to take her to the doctor. So, he wraps her in a blanket, puts her in the truck... And then puts Bella and Celeste in the truck. And for whatever reason, grabs a couple blankets for them. And then drives 45 minutes to his work. Well, not to the work. To the site. Well. To the work site where he was been working. The problem, though, with... I don't think he strangled her. I think he did more. Because it wound up coming out. There's videos of it. From the exa- uh, county examiner's office, that there's blood on the sheets but from that, could, that she was wrapped in. But that could be from, you know, at that point a miscarriage. For all we know. No, Nico was still in there, wow. still fine. So that's why I, I mean, he could have possibly choked her to the point where she was regurgitating blood. I mean, it is possible. Yeah. But. I I think something maybe even more sinister happened. I mean, I, I, I mean, definitely it think... It is quite possible. I mean, we only know what happened because he told us. Well, 
And he's only going to tell us what he wants to. I, I definitely think she was asphyxiated. I think that definitely did happen. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he just held the pillow over her throat or choked her out enough to where she did gurgitate up some blood or whatever. But the blood on the, the bed sheet that she was wrapped in, it's, it's a fairly good amount. So, But um, when they get to the site, he then takes Celeste's favorite blanket and smothers her with it. After burying Shanann first. Well, all the stuff I said said he did that last. Yeah. But then threw her in an oil tank, came back, Bella asked, are you going to do the same thing to me, Daddy? And then he smothers her and puts her in an oil tank. And according to him, he doesn't know why. He doesn't remember doing it. Well, and that's what he can claim. But he loaded him in the car and drew four, 45 well, minutes. Yes, that part. But he claims he doesn't remember strangling the kids. He doesn't remember doing that. He don't know why he did it. And it's not just throw those kids in that tank. Those openings are only maybe four inches wide. Right. Five inches wide. He, he freaking... Shoved them down that damn thing. He probably broke bones. I mean, oh, hell, they found they found hair at the top of the well. Yeah. Where he shoved them in, and I mean, it was so bad, and they had been in there for a few days that their skin was literally falling off of them. Mm-hmm. Whenever the emergency responders found them, and you know, we we talk about on the last one you know, resources and if you need mental help, whatever. All everybody that has dealt with that has had to go through mental health training, whatever. And, you know, they've they see some shit. And a lot of them actually quit right after that because they couldn't deal with it anymore. That I mean, that just tells you about how bad and just grotesque everything. I mean, they were all getting therapy, and it wasn't enough for them to even keep doing their job because what they had seen affected them that much. I mean, and that's just, that's not even like, you know, cutting them up, slicing them up with a knife, or doing something really sadistic. I mean, it was sadistic what he did, but it wasn't, you know, Hannibal Lecter weird crap whatever it was just that hard to see skin whatever falling off of these kids and um you know and if it wasn't for the fact that he got to talk to his dad and he finally admitted to his dad that he killed Shanann you keep jumping ahead of the timeline that's not how it went well it's part (laughs) of the investigation you know. But but that's that's still jumping ahead because even after he so he puts the two girls in the oil tank, then he digs the child grave and sticks Shanann in it. Did that first? I told you all the research I found says he did it after. No, oh, he did it first. Anyway, because that was the first thing he did when he got to the site was bury Shanann. Anyway. He was not the one who filed a missing person report on her. It was actually her best friend that had dropped her off (coughs) early that morning. And she had been worried because she had not heard it all from Shanann that day. 
and she knew that she was supposed to have a doctor's appointment and she never showed up to that doctor's appointment. So she called in the missing person and had <coughs> the police come out and do a wellness check. And that's when it went from there. And then, um, so it was the day after on August 14th that he talked to the media, which you already talked about, so I'm not gonna cover that again. On the 15th, <clears throat> at this point, the FBI was called in to help search for them. He was asked, Chris was asked to do a polygraph. For whatever reason, he agreed. I want to know if he thought he could actually pass it. Probably. But he did not pass it. But I also don't know why he agreed. Because those that's not, like, the best way to prove somebody's guilt or innocence. Because those tests just read, they read funny. But then <clears throat> on the 16th, oh, on the 15th, that's when he confessed to his father and said he did it because Shanann had smothered the two girls. Um, the 16th, that's when their bodies were found. <clears throat> and by the 21st, Chris had been charged with nine different counts. So he ended up with three counts of first-degree murder, two counts of first-degree murder in addition to that for the two girls being under the age of 12, um, one count of unlawful termination of pregnancy because again she was 15 weeks pregnant when she was killed and three counts of tampering with a body yep he uh he did some really ridiculous things there's uh no doubt about that he he'd really I mean, to sit there and say that you don't have any recollection of doing it, you... Right. You know, whatever. Well, and had it not been for um, her parents, he would be executed by... Absolutely. So then, um, if you hear any barking, um, Jax has now joined us, um, and he's special. Um, but November 6th, he did go ahead and plead guilty to all nine counts that he was charged with. So, November 6th, he pleads guilty to all nine counts um, that he was charged with. And November 19th, he had his sentencing. So from August 13th to November 19th, that's how long the whole process took, which to me seems fairly quickly. Um, but again, he pled guilty, so he didn't have to go through a whole trial, which probably took less time. So his, so his sentencing, he got five life, life sentences for the first degree murders. Um, two of those would be served concurrently. Um, so at the same time as two other life sentences. Um, he also got 48 years for unlawful termination of a pregnancy and an additional 36 years <coughs> for tampering with or disposing of the bodies. 
So he's definitely not getting out in his lifetime. Like, he's going to die in jail, whether that be <clears throat> someone helps him or he just dies of natural causes there. Um, <clears throat> Matthew was right in that her family had a lot to do with him not getting the death penalty. They did not want the death penalty for him. However, they did sue him in a civil case. And November 18, 2019, um, he was ordered to pay Shanann's family $6 million with 8% growth. Um, <clears throat> and they knew that he would obviously not pay it. However, if he were to ever profit in any way um, over stuff that had happened, or if he were to write a book or anything like that, he wouldn't get that money. That money would go to her parents. Um, which I think is more than fair. Yeah. Really what needs to happen is the house needs to be bulldozed and park put it in there. That's what a lot of people in that neighborhood have said that they want. They don't necessarily want um, they, they not necessarily they don't want but they would feel it would be more appropriate for a park to be put in there and the kids names um, which I feel would be a lot more appropriate than someone living in that house whatever I mean obviously um, right after it happened there was a lot of vigils and, and stuff like that and whatever I don't know that it's necessarily a uh, tourist thing to go check out the house now but I mean I'm sure there's people that do oh, I'm sure come check it out whatever but you know it's one of those things where I think a park would be Most better suited they probably I mean need it I mean <clears throat> those houses in that town whatever are so close together a nice little park would be kind of kind of nice yeah. but it is it's really jacked up you know do, do you look at it as he was wanting to, and, and this is something that me and a lot of my coworkers talked about. Um, you know, was it was this done because he wanted a whole entire new life and didn't want to be tied down to his past life? Because I mean, let's face it: if he did divorce Shanann, whatever, he was going to be paying three kids of child support, which he wouldn't have hardly any money to be able to do jack squat with. I mean, yeah, you may get a quote-unquote new life, but your new life is going to be connected to your old life. I think he wanted a clean break. He didn't want to deal with everything. I think whenever Shanann did the surprise looking pregnant, whatever, I think that sent him overboard. I well, don't think necessarily that he was going to do anything with that third kid. You're already financially strapped. You're getting ready to bring in another kid to the situation. He... You know, whether or not Shanann and him were having a good sex life and everything else, I really don't think that they were. I think it was another one of those things. Well, of, she admitted in some of those messages where she was talking about how she thought that he was cheating on her, that they had not been intimate in that entire time frame. Well, and that's why I think there was more to the story going on and 
you know. Obviously they were because she was pregnant, but again, it's one of those situations where but that I was think also before he started the affair as well. Well, yes, but I'm looking more of it and in terms of when did he start? Like, I mean, you, you just don't sit there and wake up one day, well, I'm going to have an affair. It's something that is sitting there building over time and all of a sudden you just right. break. So, I mean... Well, I did a little digging on the psychology of this because, one, that's literally what I do is psychology stuff. And... I was surprised to see that no one had a mental diagnosis for him. They had some rule-outs. So bipolar was the big one I saw where it was consistent and they thought that that was a possibility, but then they ruled it out. Um, but the common theme was when you look at the type of killer that he is and what that means. So they all have labeled him a family annihilator and I mean it is what it says he is a person from the family who killed other people in the family and in this case it was all of them um, when you look at the background or the profile of a family annihilator they are most often middle-aged men try to provide for a good life would appear to his neighbors to be a dedicated husband and father and up to the point that point that is what he was portraying um but there are four reasons why these types of murders happen one there's a breakdown or change in family relationship i think that was a contributing factor for him because he was changing the family dynamics of having the affair. There was a change in the family by adding the third baby. Um, the second one is money worries and financial hardship. We already know that they were having financial problems. They'd already filed bankruptcy and they were still not able to get to where they were living within their means. Um, the third one is cultural honor killings that's not what was going on here it had nothing to do with preserving family honor and then the fourth one is mental illness and at this point because of the research i've done i can't say that i see any evidence for that um and then of those there are two categories you have the livid killer motivated by anger and rage and then the civil reputable, which is the complete opposite. He wants to try and save the family from hardships and shame and financial problems or bankruptcy. I do not think he was that second one. He clearly says that he was angry and did it out of anger. And so I think he does fit this category of killer, a family annihilator, and he's the livid killer. And I don't think that had anything to do with mental illness. I think she said something he didn't like, <clears throat> which meant he wasn't getting his way, became enraged, and then murdered his wife. And then I think it just escalated from there. I mean, he had 45 minutes to calm down 
before he dumped her body, and yet he chose to kill his two children. You definitely have to have something wrong with you to pull off everything that he did, the way he did it. I mean, to sit there and think that, again, you know, I need a new life, I want a new life, and you think that this is the best way to do it. Right. What the hell? Or the family dynamics change so much that you, what, you think this is the only way out? This is the only way to fix it? I mean, they were so much in debt, they were screwed. I mean, they, they, they were royally going to be screwed. But, again, I mean, there, there's ways to work through bankruptcy. There's ways to deal with all that. I mean, obviously, being sued by your HOA and, and stuff like that, you know, there's, there's a lot of problems. And, yeah, I mean, Shanann was successful at what she did, but... But successful. they were still living without the, outside their means. And her job at that time wasn't your typical study income. And that she was, was working for one of the pyramid companies. Yeah, and that's kind of my point of the situation is, it's like, you know, I mean, obviously with lupus, it presents challenges, whatever, but... Colorado being what it is and being such a state that understands things that aren't, you know, normal, whether that be your social constructs or um, your, um, you know, diseases or whatever, I'm pretty sure she could have found some kind of stable income um, that, uh, you know, would have helped the situation, but... Right. And then... You know, to even make it even more messed up, um, whenever the trial thing was happening, I, this is something I don't know that we'll necessarily cover or not, um, but there was a whole entire another um, case, like right after, like right dealing whenever they were going through the trial stuff or whatever, and if it wasn't already bad enough, you know, in Colorado hearing, you know, I mean, every day everyone was tuned into the courtroom. Um, you know, what What information are we going to find out, you know, the, from the initial appearance whenever all the charges were, you know, released. And, I mean, everyone was glued to their TVs this whole entire time from whenever they couldn't find Shanann. And, you know, it was every day something about it, whatever, to uh, they arrested Chris Watts to uh, what they charged him with and when they found him and... Um, everything that wasn't enough um then there was another issue that happened in 2018 on thanksgiving where another mom wound up disappeared whatever and there was only the fiance to speak of it and come to find out and they had a little kid together and uh come to find out that he was just as bad i mean he wasn't as sadistic, I mean, I mean, I guess it's kind of your viewpoint on what is sadistic, but it was pretty bad. Um, he had a mistress, same kind of situation. They had known each other from uh, early on, whatever, and I guess they dated before, and she was married, so it was like a double affair. Um, he tried to get her to come kill his fiance. She wouldn't do it because she just couldn't do it and so this guy 
wound up going and murdering his fiance with a baseball bat, smashed her head in to a point, and the one, thank God the kid was only one, so the kid's probably, hopefully, not going to remember anything, hopefully, but he smashed her head in to the point where teeth went flying everywhere, and they were finding teeth all over the apartment, and, you know, maybe he wasn't a family annihilator, but to sit there and be able to even do something like that in front of your kid, I mean... It's really no different than what Watts did. I mean, he killed one of his girls in front of the other one. Flat out. I mean, it, it's bad that they're dead, but probably, you know, I mean, if, if one of them had survived, they'd be so messed up. <coughs> it wouldn't even be, they would be in trauma the rest of their life. And especially to know that, um, and I think that's the thing that kills me the most. You know, normally, whenever, I mean, it seems like whenever you have people that take out their family, they take out themselves too. And most of the time, with family annihilators, that is what happens. But with any profile, you know, it's never 100% accurate. It's more like, okay, these are, this is what typically would happen. And. I, I think that's what I think that's where you know the idea of him wanting to start over comes into play, because that's the one piece that doesn't match the rest of that mold. Um, because he was having this affair, but even then later on, you know this girlfriend was saying that he was basically losing it during this time. And she knew something was off. And I don't know that she would have stayed with him. I don't and so then have. where would he have been? Probably kill her too. Yeah, or himself at that point because he literally killed his entire family, what, to potentially be with her. And she doesn't want to be with him, so what's he got left? Now, and to sit there, I mean... And even if he did get away with it, I mean, she at some point would have to be like, okay, well, where are your kids? How are you going to respond to that? Uh, they're, they're always with their mom. Right. Yeah. I mean, it. he was screwed. I mean, it, it was, he, he's definitely one of those guys that uh, too bad there wasn't uh, a way to get it to him earlier where maybe all this could have been avoided I mean I, I I just don't know I don't understand the the concept of I mean I understand the concept of wanting to start over but the concept that you get somewhere in your head that the only way to accomplish this is to take out your whole entire family yeah and he sat there and said in statements I saw all over and I remember the biggest thing and most thing that made him happy was to be a dad Really? Clearly made that known. You're, you're the biggest thing and the best thing you've ever done in your life is become a dad and be a dad. And then you kill him. And one right in front of the other. Uh-huh. He's definitely messed up. Absolutely. It's hard to take him serious, whatever he says at this point anymore. Because he's already been shown to be a liar. So, 
He a uh, special place in hell. I would agree. Because, uh, yeah. And, and the other thing that I think is really interesting is he sits there and says that he has to go to bed every night and he sees them and talks to them and he has to have those images in his head and it's like, what, are we all supposed to feel sorry for you? Because we don't. I mean, it's like, okay. You made your bed. You made your bed, homie. Live in it. Or, you know, try to avoid Bubba and don't drop the soap. Because you know, I mean, if, if people in jail will always talk about, you know, we don't take too kindly, we handle those situations. Yeah. Kind of makes you wonder with him. But, uh, I think that's a good wrap on, uh, Mr. Watsy. At least for this episode. Good second episode. Yeah. First episode is live, by the way, for people who, uh, may not, uh, know slash and or find the page and want because to go back to the first one. Because we are on Facebook as well. Because we're on Facebook. That's where the page is. Uh, we're recording through Podcastle. And we have also uploaded to YouTube. So we do have a YouTube channel. Uh-huh. Uh, we do plan on going to Spotify, Apple, um, all the big boys at uh, some point. But uh, I think we will uh, end this one here. And uh, like we always say, hey, if you have a mental health issue, don't be afraid to call that mental health hotline. Pound 988. Pound 988. And then, hey, keep playing those cards right. And uh, we hope we'll see you all soon. Bye.